Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Why don't you turn with me uh, in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians this morning, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Verse uh, 11, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am truly nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and in mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Obviously, the, the forgive me this wrong is kind of a tongue-in-cheek type thing he's saying. But the, the concept of what he's saying is he has had to write this, this letter, and he's had to convey in this letter some difficult things that he felt like they really needed to know because he was observing a bit at a distance, having spent a fair amount of time with the church. But then at, at a distance now, he's, having to, he's become aware of issues and struggles and things that were going on. And there were these people that had come in after Paul was there, and they're known as Judaizers, or um, they're those that would come in and say, yeah, um, this thing that Paul said was great and everything, but you really need to do these things too. And so they're trying to say that you need to add to that, and you need to be more like this. And Paul's saying, no, you, you got the full gospel. You got the, the real deal. What you, you took, what you accepted, was really the full deal. And these people were trying to make it like Paul was really less than, and they had more to offer. And so he's saying, you know, you, you kind of compelled me because you kind of embraced these people, and it's kind of forced me to kind of school you on this, basically, is what he's saying. That's the real polite version of, of what he's tried to convey here. And he says, truly, these things um, have been happening, and God was doing them in and through my life. And he says, I, I had to go through and, and explain systematically to you to give you a clear understanding of the relationship that we have. Now, Paul, remember, had led many of these people to the Lord initially. So he is not only their pastor in that sense and an apostle, but he was their spiritual father too. And so he had this real sense of obligation about conveying some specific things to them. In verses 14 through 21, Paul here really kind of goes over his heart for them. And I think this is important because it's the heart of God or Christ Jesus inside of Paul, his heart. And I think if we read through this, we can find about five or six things in there that will help us in our relationship with others. So let's read through this and we'll kind of go back through and see those things. Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. 
Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by, the, by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul's basically saying, hey, church, get things in order. He's at a distance. He's going to come back and visit again. He says, church, Get things in order. These things that I talked to you about in this letter, I need you to, to listen and think through them. He's talking to them as a loving father. He's sharing his heart as the heart not only of as, an, as an apostle, but as one who really cares about the quality of their spiritual life. That they're really doing and saying and experiencing things that God desires for them. Now this whole little chunk of scripture really is all about love, really. And sometimes love says difficult things. For example, where he says in verse 15, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Sometimes love has to say difficult things. Sometimes love has to deal with difficult matters. And oftentimes those matters can be very misunderstood, can't they? They, it can be very difficult when you convey those things and your heart is fully right in conveying them, but sometimes they can be grossly misunderstood by the recipient. Those things that need to be said. And so, although the heart is desire in conveying these things, though the more abundantly I love you, he's saying even in this communication, I have really displayed my heart for you. I have told you the truth about these matters and the need for their response to be healthy. But yet, really, he's concerned that even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. It seems like you're repelling that, that, that heart that he's conveying. And I think we know sometimes we've had to tell a, a friend Sometimes we've had to tell a person that we really care deeply about something that really was significant and it mattered, but somehow they were so engrossed in themselves or so engrossed in the sin or so embroiled in the situation that they missed the, the heart of, of love that was trying to be conveyed. That, hey, it's in your best interest if you do something about this situation. Sometimes we find this even in sharing the gospel, don't we? When we see someone who's really struggling in life, we say, hey, there's an answer, there's help, there's hope. But you see, it's not in religion. It's not in this, uh, just an idealistic concept out there somewhere. It's not within any ism or anything like that. It's only gonna be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so that's what we talk about. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what the Lord talked about. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. Five things I find in just those, those few verses. Five things I find, and for, beginning with verse 14. You might just notice these little things that are tucked away. Remember what we've talked about from time to time, that in Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament words, that one of the things that he says about love, and as we read love, it's used as agape, this unique love that's there that is given by God, its origin is from God, and it's given to uh, believers, and only believers possess agape love. Only Christians possess agape love. And that love is best described, Vine says, by the actions that it prompts. And I thought, wow, this is a really great, these five things here are really what we would want to see prompt or promoted in our lives. They're displays of true love. Verse 14, right in the, toward the latter part, middle latter part, it says, for I do not seek yours, but you. A true servant of Jesus Christ, a person who's really in love with God and really has a heart for other people and loves them, that is the, that's their vantage point. I do not seek yours, not what I can get from you, not what I can extract from the relationship to gain personally, but I seek you. I want relationship with you. That's, that's true agape love functions on that premise. I do not seek yours, but you. That's the first one. The next one we find in verse 15, the very first part of verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. It says, you know what? Even if it costs me, even if I'm drained physically, or even if it costs me something personally, I find it to be of value. You are of that type of value. I will very gladly spend and be spent for what? For your souls, because I care about you eternally. So it's an eternal perspective. That's the second thing I find. It's an action, isn't it? It's, it's something that's prompted from within. Love is prompting this, and it's prompting that type of interaction with other people. First of all, he's not trying to get something for himself from it. And secondly, you find that he's actually willing to invest in it. Gladly, he says, I would invest in it for your souls because I care about you eternally. The third one we find in verse 16 I did not burden you. Love isn't desiring to be a burden necessarily to others, is it? Isn't it interesting? Most of us would say the same. And I know some of you that are a little bit older and maybe needing the care of other family members. And though some of us aren't quite there, um, we're getting there. And those of us that think we're a million miles away, you'll get there, you know. But the reality, isn't it, is that no one wants to be a burden to a family member. Isn't that oftentimes what's stated? And you know, some of you that are a little bit older and maybe are dependent more than, again, on some others around you, know this, that they do it because the Bible says that it's, 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 they want to honor you. 
We're to honor our, our, our parents, and it's, it's an honor. And I think any of us that have an opportunity, if you have ever just a sliver of an opportunity to allow someone some dignity, do it. Because one day, you might be that person. One day, likely, you will be that person. And I, I've been someone who was a caregiver to both of my parents prior to their, their going to be with the Lord. And I, I know how important it was. I sensed it. I could see it in their eyes. And I don't know how your folks got when they got older, but my folks, both of them got kind of beady eyes. It was like they could look right through your soul, man. You know, my parents were just like that. I don't know what happened, but as they got older, they look right through you, man, to see it. But I remember my parents having that kind of intensity in their heart when we would talk, and I could tell their desires, hey, just allow me some dignity. It's an important concept. And I think this idea here is the desire is not to be a burden. I didn't want to be a burden to you. Now, this is a little extra one associated with that in verse 17. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Those that I would interact with, and those that I might, you know, send that way, did they misrepresent or were they in the same frame of mind? I think that's important in our love and our interaction with others, that it be based in a like-minded format. Not the, those that sent, that you interact with, they, you don't want them to be thinking any differently about that person than you do. Love's thinking about that. Love's concerned about the interaction they might have with other people. The fourth one we find in verse 19. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Love is looking to build up. Love is always looking to build up. Edification, to edify, means to build up. And so love is always looking to build up. Not to destroy or tear down or say demeaning things, you see. But love is looking to say something that's going to be encouraging, even though it might be challenging. Paul, in everything he said, in all of 2 Corinthians, said nothing to be demeaning to them, to, to tear them down in any way. He only said those things that would be for edification, that it might, even the hard things, brothers and sisters, even the difficult things that love needs to say sometimes, that he said it because he wanted to build them up. He wanted them to grow and mature and to be what God would intend them to be. So that fourth thing, edification. We do all things, beloved, for your edification. Isn't it neat? He just says that right in the middle of it, beloved. He says, man, I have a heart for you, beloved, he says, for your edification. The fifth thing we find in verse 21, and I think this is an interesting one, not only for you and me in our immediate sphere of people we interact with, but it, it, it has to do with our worldview, as it would be said, or our general perspective of life around us. What is my vantage point overall of, of the world as it is? Do I, because true agape love would have this perspective. In the middle part of verse 21, 
And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of. Do you, do I, do we have that kind of a heart for others around us that when there's sin, when there's issues, which we all fail, we all sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, yes, I understand if you've given your life to the Lord, past, present, and future sin is forgiven and done away with on the cross. We are encapsulated in in this grace and mercy of God, for sure. But that doesn't mean you don't sin. That's a misnomer. You know, you, you, you missed the mark. We sin. But what's so great is we have this advocacy. We have this, this one that sits in, in our defense. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I'm, I think I've missed it here. It's clear I've, I've missed it. Will you forgive me? Now that changes us. God's forgiveness is instantaneous for all of us. But this is real. This is where we live. And I, I think that idea of mourning for many who have sinned before and have not repented of, and he gives a little list of things. But the reality is, is, is that our perspective? Love sees a, a relationship or a situation that way. Love sees it in a, hey, I'm willing to forgive. God sees you in that way. Okay, it didn't go exactly like you thought it was going to go. Okay, it didn't work out exactly like you'd hoped it was going to work out. Okay, but it's time to move forward. Satan is the only one that wants to trap you that way and say, you've messed up. God will never forgive you. God's not going to accept you. Don't ever go to church again. Don't pray. Why bother? God doesn't care about you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God does love you. God does have a purpose. And Paul's heart in listing off these five things that agape love prompts, it, it promotes, it's, it's displayed by these actions. I would ask, is that your heart? Is that my heart for others around us? When they fail, when it's happened to you, Paul has been violated by these people. They didn't stand up and, and defend him. As we wrap this little bit up here quickly in chapter 13, and we can just kind of close out this book, Paul's now kind of wrapping up, knowing that he's had to say these things. He says, this will be the third time in verse 1 of chapter 13, I am coming to you. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. In Deuteronomy, this is spoken. Paul goes back and quotes it. You remember Jesus also quoted this same portion, didn't he? Matthew chapter 18, when he talked about dealing with a sinning brother or sister. And he used that same scripture there. I think Paul finds himself in this spot that sometimes in love and with our heart for other people, we need to comfort those who are afflicted. Remember, the God of all comfort, we started out that with the God of all comfort, who comforts those. You know, we we learned about that in the early chapters, comforting the afflicted. But sometimes love also needs to really afflict those who are too comfortable. Those who have gotten set in worldly ways and have really not embraced 
the love of God, the way Paul here has been describing it. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. He says, I'm going to be, I'm going to deal with this matter. You guys take care of it. That's what his heart was. You guys take care of these things. You're, you're embracing all this other stuff out there, but you're not really hearing the heart of the shepherd. The Corinthian church just embraced all kinds of things. It's not much different than the church universal overall today. We just kind of take on all kinds of ideas and things. We just kind of embrace all kinds of stuff. But that's not really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be able to, as we learned in Matthew 18 and other portions of Scripture, when you go back into um, the early parts of the Sermon on the Mount, because as soon as you apply Matthew 18, then the next thing comes back to you when you say something and are trying to bring some accountability to a matter. Oftentimes what's brought back to you or to me is, well, you're judging me. No. Judgment to condemnation is inappropriate for any of us. We have no right to that. But what we do have right to is to challenge and say, hey, listen, that's not in line with the Lord. What's going on? You know, what's, what's happening here? And there's a rightness to that that we've kind of lost sight of a little bit. And I'm not talking about sin sniffing and Ricky rule finding and all that stuff that goes on. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about honest interaction with, with relationships and godly challenge. He says, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, you know, this is what their, their whole thing was. Uh, you know, maybe it, he's not really as anointed as he, we, we thought he was or something. It's kind of their, the thought. Who is not weak toward you but mighty in you? He says, you've got Jesus Christ. You received Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, you've got Christ living within your life. For though we were, he was crucified in weakness, Jesus yielded and put him, allowed himself. Remember, he said he gave himself for us on the cross. He gave himself. He willingly yielded his life. Now, it appeared to be weakness. Truly, we know it to be meekness. And there's two different things. Meek and weak aren't the same thing. Meek is power under control. It's like a racehorse in a gate. You know, it, 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 it's, it's ready to go. It's, it's power, but it's slightly restrained or under, under control, under mastery, as it were. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for listening to the message today. You know, I was thinking about Jesus being that good shepherd. And he said, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You know, we just kind of think of that as a door that on hinges that opens and shuts. But really, at that time period, the shepherd was the door himself. He would lay across the opening. And the sheep would have to kind of cross over him and get through him to get in and out of the sheepfold. And he said, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, Jesus was never just a hireling for you or for me. 
Jesus loves you with a perfect love. He gave his life for you on the cross. He wants to give you life abundant, as spoken of in the scripture here. He is the access into everlasting life. Maybe you've been distant from the Lord. You tuned in and you've, you've gone to church before. You've opened your life at one point, but now you're just living out in the world and, and away from God, and you're feeling the, the hurt and the shame and the conviction of the sin. Well, Jesus wants to forgive you again in a fresh new way. He wants you to get started on that journey again. And, and maybe you're hearing this simple gospel message for the first time and you want to give your life to Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and God wants to give you a chance. Just pray the simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of all my sin. I want to invite you into my heart to be my personal Lord and Savior. I want to thank you for the free gift of everlasting life that you've given me now. And I thank you, Lord, for all your goodness, all your grace. And I just ask, Lord, that you would flood my heart with your Holy Spirit now, that my life might bring you honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, the service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.